Hey guys, Owen here. And Michelle too. Oh good, you can help me with a disclaimer. Oh yeah, we weren't going to say that we aren't experts in any of the subjects we cover. We are just fans, having fun, being nerdy, you know. Exactly, and also that there's always the potential for spoilers and coarse language. Sorry. Our listeners should keep that in mind. Thanks so much for listening and we, we hope, hope you, you enjoy. enjoy. Oh man, what was that? I knew we shouldn't come down here after what Dark Vale said about the ocean. Well, it was this or that Zach Bagan's uh, haunted museum, and you said a big hell no to that. Yeah, well, you know how I feel about haunted places, and after what John and Tori revealed about that place, there's no way I'm going there. What's that? Babe, get up. Your alarm's gone off twice already. Uh, I had the weirdest dream. Oh? Crazy. You tell me all about it. After we listen to Dark Vale. Oh yeah, I guess it's time to chill and podcast. Excuse me? I know you don't want to be sleeping on the couch tonight. I know you meant podcast, podcast and, and chill. chill. everyone, and welcome to another episode of Little Nerdy. I'm your host, Michelle. And I'm your co-host, Owen. And first off, we wanted to give a shout-out to our friend, Black White Chuck. For composing all the original intro and outro music. You can find her description and details in the show notes. Excellent. Thank you so much. So today, we are doing a special episode. It's not like one we've done before has the themes and stuff, but a little bit... A little bit different. It's still going to be nerdy, for sure. It's about uh, fictional dads on a belated Father's Day one. Because Father's Day was uh, Sunday, and this comes out on Tuesday. So, we kind of dropped the ball on releasing this on Sunday. Yeah, uh, I I figured people... Well, we figured people were probably spending time with their families and whatnot, so... We figured we'd just release it on our normal day, but we thought we'd try something different and see if you guys like it. Yeah. So we both kind of contemplated through our favorite uh, fictional dads, be it uh, like they had the kids their own or adopted wise. It's more of who's your father, not your daddy. (laughs) As uh, what's his name? The blue guy from Guardians of the Galaxy said. Oh, uh, I don't he, remember his name, but... Yeah, he says to Peter, uh, says to Star-Lord, He may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Exactly. We're looking more into <laughs> daddies. <laughs> yeah, who's the real fa- uh, Yeah, who's the real daddy? Yeah. yeah, so... So starting off with number 10 out of the top 10 list is... Carl Winslow. Good choice. Mm, thanks. So I dug way back into the 90s for this. <laughs> He the uh, he's from the show Family Matters. I loved that show as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I used to do the Urkel where I'd pull my pants up and turn around in a circle, <laughs> laughing. A buddy of mine that uh, I, when I first started getting a job and everything, working at McDonald's, uh, his name was Aaron, and he was this tall, lanky guy. And he said that in high school or junior high, I think he went as the white Steve Urkel in uh, for Christmas or Halloween. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, he said uh, he had the rainbow suspenders, the glasses, and everything. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, So I picked Carl Winslow because I thought he was a good dad. He was always there for his kids. Um, Which is really saying something because he was a cop. Yeah, exactly. So he already had a pretty tiring job. And then on top of being there for his kids, he had to tolerate Steve Urkel. Yeah, and there was a lot of tolerating because 
as anyone who's familiar with the show, Steve Urkel is a genius. Yeah. And that's really saying something, because he was, what, in high school, I think? Yeah, they were in high school. Well, him and Laura and, uh, I can't remember the son's... The older brother. Yeah, I yeah, can't remember the, the son's son. name. Um, and, yeah, they were all in high school, but um, when, they, when it came to Steve, he would create all kinds of contraptions and inventions to try to improve... Uh, upon everybody's uh, everyday Especially, life. Yeah, well, because he was in love with Laura. So, and he wanted to... And he wanted to impress Carl. Yeah. Right. So he was always trying to, yeah, like you said, invent all these contraptions that always ended up not working. And poor Carl. At one point he had to, like... See a psychiatrist? Yeah, and stuff. I think he was having some PTSD from his work maybe as well, but he went and saw the psychologist and... She gave him this little tidbit of being like, oh, if you're feeling, you know, anxious and upset and whatever, just, uh, just try this. Three, two, one. One, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? And I remember specifically an episode where he was doing that. And, like, he got to the point where he was just, like, through clenched teeth, like, three, two, one. One, two, three. What the heck is bothering me? And then he, like, exploded at Steve. Which happened quite often where he'd get mad at Steve, but in the end of the day, you he know, Steve's, he always kind of made up for it. He always knew that it was coming out of a place of uh, a good... Good intention. Yeah. It's just, unfortunately, like I said, Steve had quite the track record of, you know, creating stuff that wrecked the house a little bit. And there was even an episode, I remember, where they were getting a, an insurance audit, and the person was going through and was like, oh yeah, everything looks good. I don't know why your house keeps getting wrecked and everything. And then comes Steve. <laughs> and he find, and he's like, uh, jots him down and figures out what the new estimate's going to be. And he's like, well, how bad is it? Well, you're lo basically looking at uh, the same insurance rate as people who live next to dynamite factories. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's how destructive Steve was. Mm -hmm. And it was something that really bothered him. But, you know, it was like, even though... Like I'm not. Does, I don't think Steve Urkel had a, his character had a dad on that show, but we never could, saw his parents. I don't believe so. Yeah, he had him. I'm sure, but yeah, but you could really tell that is like he, he was kind of like he was like a second dad to him, and you know, having three kids already that he was raising and uh, doing the best he could between his job and being a family man. That you know, it was it was a really commendable you know thing that he, he tried to be a guiding light for Steve. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and I. Uh... And that earned him the respectable spot of number ten, and there were many others that were on this list, but we'll leave it at that. Now let's move on to number nine. Number nine is Larry Valentine. For those of you who might not know that name, he is from a movie called I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. And that was with, um, it was Adam, Adam Sandler and, and Kevin James. Now, Kevin James' character, uh, Larry, uh, his wife had passed away about a few, I think it was like about two, maybe three years ago, and he realized that being a firefighter, his life's, you know, in danger a lot of the time. So he wanted to make sure that his will would make sure his kids were well looked after in case of his unfortunate demise. You know, great dad making sure his kids are well taken care of. Yeah, you know, you don't want to leave them, you know, cursing your name. And as sad as that would be, you know, it's like, that's, it's having the foresight to go, okay, if this can go wrong, how can I remedy it or make it right? So he ended up having to convince his best friend, who was a firefighter, and kind of uh ladies the, man uh yeah you know um he'd he dated a lot of women mm. uh for very short spurts if that's yeah a good he was like it. a player yeah and so anyways he convinced them to go to vegas and have a wedding and everything to and so this way he could get the paperwork pushed through so the legal system would say hey yeah you can update your will now and unfortunately there were some people who were like huh you're uh, getting married to him, but a lot of things are pointing to the contrary. So after getting this uh, fake wedding done, they had to go to a very uh, what was it, homosexual or gay predominant or enthusiast. Uh, I don't know what the words would be for this, but basically they, they had went to, to a party, right? Yeah, where the whole like you know it was a very a same sex party type thing, and. Yeah, it was like they had the uh, uh, Chuck had to prove that uh, he, he was wasn't in love with Larry, despite sleeping with copious amounts of women. 
And that Larry was in love with Chuck, even though he was married to a woman. Yeah, right? and had two kids. Yeah. So it took a lot of effort and everything like that. But all of a sudden done, doing all that just to make sure your kids have a better future, I think is really commendable for a dad. And, you know, it's uh, something where I think probably not every dad, but I'm sure a lot of dads now, a lot of people nowadays, okay. probably wouldn't really hesitate to make sure their kids have a good future. Absolutely. And they do whatever it takes, right? So, yeah, I definitely see why you you picked him to be on our list for sure. Yeah, I mean, even though the movie wasn't exactly like a lot of people said it wasn't Adam Sandler's best work, it, to me it was more of the story about acceptance and. You know, mm. that it was a story of love, a, a, a romantic comedy in a way. Yeah. And despite, you know, the fact that it had a lot more to do with adult situations and stuff, the the underlining note there to me, the big takeaway, was how much a dad was willing to do for his kids. And how much a dad's best friend was willing to do for his friend's kids as well. Exactly. Right? And stuff, and at the end of the day, it only strengthened their friendship. So, I mean, it wasn't, it was a good... Good thing all around, right? Yeah, you know. and Not uh, that we're, don't commit fraud, because that's technically fraud, but, you know. Yeah, that was the whole legal <laughs> system thing. Like, they were like, you're trying to defraud the government. And he's like, defrauded of what? I just want to update my will. Yeah. It was like, I, I think if anything, you know, sure, that's kind of like a really bad thing, a bad way and bad thing to do. But for the reason... He was willing I, to commit fraud in order to... To help us make sure his children were protected in the future if something happened to him, right? Exactly. So, yeah. So, moving on, let's go to number eight. Okay, so number eight was my pick. Mm -hmm. And I picked Philip Banks. Ooh, good choice, good choice. Yes, so some people may know that name, and if they don't, you may know him more affectionately as Uncle Phil. Right. Yeah. He was from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. In West Philadelphia, born, born and, and raised. raised. <laughs> so we all know how that intro song, like if you're a kid of the 90s, you knew that song by heart. You probably sang it in school with some friends uh, once in a while. Absolutely. Uh, I still bust that out every once in a while because, well. It was such I, a great show. It was. Um, and the reason I pill, I picked, I pilled him. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't choke on your pop. <laughs> yes, uh, my carbonated uh, noni and uh, brand soda exactly um we uh sorry the reason i picked him though was because he was a really good dad like he was a good dad to his three kids already hillary carlton and ashley and then they had a fourth kid him and vivian uh, oh yeah yeah they, nikki yeah yeah so he was a good dad to all his kids but then on top of that he takes in his troubled nephew his from, from his uh, wife's sister. Yeah, and stuff. So, he, he's his nephew by marriage, which, I mean, to most people that doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter to me. Like, my no, but just my nieces and sake. nephews are my nieces and nephews, right? Like, I've yeah. got three nephews and I've got two nieces, yeah. right? And stuff, and how they came to be a part of our family, to me, doesn't matter. And I think that was the same with Philip. Right. Yeah, exactly. And stuff. And he wanted to be a guiding light in Will's life, and he wanted to ensure that he didn't end up like his father. He was very hesitant um, in, in the, the beginning. beginning. Yeah, like he did. He definitely was um, thinking he was gonna have to probably go all uh, drill sergeant on him and stuff. And even when Phil, um, not Phil, um, Will Smith came into the house, he noticed that everybody pretty much had to stick up their butt. Yeah. And. <laughs> You know, it's like he he brought a little bit of like energy and enthusiasm and a different sense of life, right? Like they were very prestigious. Phil was a a judge, right? So they were very prestigious in their their community and whatever. Um, and when Will came in, Will came from West Philadelphia, right? Yeah, where there's a lot more troubled youth. Yeah, and it was just, you know, he lived not the same life that they did. And so he brought in a different way of seeing things, I think. And that over time, you saw, you know, Phil kind of let loose a little bit, I guess, so to speak, or whatever. Like, not that he ever, I mean, he was hard on his children, but he loved his children. And the perfect example of that was an episode that always makes me cry. Oh, you're talking about the hug? Yeah. 
So, there was an episode where Will's dad showed up, and he... He gets Will thinking, oh man, this is going to be great, you know, me I'm and my gonna, dad are yeah. going to get back together, we're going to, you I'm know... I'm going to go with my dad, like he was going to go with him, <clears throat> and he had packed his stuff up. Yeah, it's a pretty intense emotional moment. Yeah, and then his dad <clears throat> shows up and tells him, like, oh yeah, sorry, like... You can't come with me this time, kid. Maybe next time, whatever. Uh, actually, I thought it was um, he was just going to sneak out the front door yeah, while Will, Will was getting him. ready. And then Will catches him and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah then he and then he... Him. Sorry. And then he says that to him, like, oh, sorry, things changed, blah, blah, blah. And Will was, like, heartbroken and... He was, like... Get, he actually got... At first, it was anger, like... Yeah. He was um, angry at his dad and was telling, like... He was yelling at Uncle Phil. And a fun little fact about this, apparently the original script was supposed to be that Will was supposed to be so strong of character that despite being abandoned again, yeah. he was going to say, um, you know, if my dad doesn't need me, then I don't need him. Uh, but the real Will Smith, uh, he, uh, he actually had issues with his own dad. Oh, Abandonment really? stuff. And so it just, it, it wasn't him acting, it was him actually having an emotional issue with this scene. Because, so yeah, you see, like, when he was supposed to say that line right in front of uh, Uncle Phil, mm -hmm. he said, why doesn't he want me? Oh, and, that broke my heart. Oh, yeah, and <clears throat> uh, I can't remember, what was the name of the actor that played, uh, but Uncle Phil. James Avery. James Avery, thank you so much. Uh, he sees him, and he knows this isn't a line, and he's known, he's got to know Will, because this is several seasons in. Yeah. He's gotten to know Will Smith for who he is as a person kind of thing. It wasn't just they show up and act and then yeah. go home separate ways. And when he saw this emotional breakdown in Will Smith... That's he, when he grabbed him and hugged him. Oh, it was a big bear oh. hug and it was just... I mean, if you had a dry eye in the, when you first saw that scene and watched that whole episode, I think, you know, someone might be a little on the heartless side. Just, <laughs> I mean, you know, a big... I'm, I, I'm like one of the manliest men around that you know of. And, oh, yeah, manly men. Oh, yeah, never dry, you know, dry eyes and never tear up and everything. Never. That scene there, just frog in the throat, just, you know, no, that that, that hit right in the feels. I oh. mean, you may have bowled like a baby, but we'll never tell anyone that. Uh, we'll leave it to their imagination, but <laughs> my statement is I did not full-on cry, but I definitely teared up. That can be your statement. Thanks. Thanks for the support. You always. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, like there, that's something really to think about is that he had three kids that he'd raised up to such this uh, respectable, prestigious level. <clears throat> he had this troubled nephew come in, and despite, you know, not really being his own kid and not raising him since, you know, day one and everything, he loved them, guided them, taught them, you know... Uh, how to be, you know, have good morals, yeah. and that con actions have consequences, so... Yeah, definitely. I uh, I definitely think that earned him a very respectable spot in spot number eight. Yeah. Now, you're probably thinking, what, you know, how come he's not number one? Well, when you hear the rest of these dads, you're probably going to understand why it was a very hard choice in law. It was a hard choice. This was a hard list to comprise, that's for sure. So, let's move on to number seven. Yeah, now... This one actually recently just had the second edition come out. It is called The Last of Us. And Joel, which we don't have a last name for, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure uh, if a lot of people have played the game. Uh, I know you haven't. You saw me playing it a bit. I saw a little bit of gameplay, but not a lot. But, uh, yeah, so Joel is a uh, arms dealer. Uh, okay, so starts off, he's a contractor, you know, working before the apocalypse and stuff. He's trying to make ends meet. And his little girl uh, gives him a birthday gift. And it's this really nice watch and everything. And they have a really heartfelt moment. And then as you play through, um, the world is falling apart. Police force, military force can't stop the outbreak of these, outbreak of these zombies. And everyone's just running in random directions trying to get away from death. So he ends up getting... Um, confronted by a soldier and the guy gets uh, something freaks him out and everything he like full on full auto fires in, uh, at him he rolls down a bank and everything joel is completely fine but his daughter took a few rounds into her torso 
And mm. so she's coughing up blood, I think, and she's like slowly dying. Like you can see that this is a very painful death and it is just so heartbreaking. And doesn't he try and rush her to the hospital or something? Uh, babe, the hospitals and everything were blown up. Like there was no help. There was Well, just I thought he was trying die. to get her to help though. Uh, I thought I remembered I think, that. Oh yeah, I think he might have been. There's something might have like happened, but yeah, it was the point was that they were trying to get away and you know, he ends up losing her. Fast forward a few years, now he's an arms dealer, he's pretty ruthless, like, you know, he just He messes. just takes jobs and does what he can to survive, right? Yeah, and he doesn't take any flack. Like, he is willing to show people he means business every second that he, you know, comes, like, you know, it's like, he's always serious. Yeah. Then he gets an odd job to deliver this, I want to say she was like about 12, maybe 13-year-old little girl named Ellie. Now, of course, you know, he's been so desensitized to most people that when his partner had to go and confirm all the contract details and get all the information, he was told to watch her, and he just sleeps on the couch. Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, what am I going to do? Whatever you want. Like, he does not care about her. She doesn't. Care. He doesn't care what her interests are, nothing. Yeah. He's not very uh, open to her. Yeah, then, he's not very friendly. Yeah, no, it was, it was a relationship that was very, like, you know, it was like, She's the cargo, he's the deliveryman, you know, he just doesn't care. Yeah. So, later on, though, they end up outside the city and stuff, he loses his partner, they find out that she is actually immune to the disease that no one else has been immune to. You get bit, you are turning. Yeah, no it's tumor. like a zombie thing, right? Exactly. So, <clears throat> with a lot of that, um, he ends up coming across a bunch of, like, Different, uh, a lot of the fungus, zombie type things, whatever they were. Uh, he ends up meet, running into an old friend and even fighting a bunch of like renegades and stuff like that that are uh, outside the city, surviving by might makes right. And <clears throat> he ends up suffering an injury in this. And the big thing to me was that she learned, you know, how to shoot, like seeing him just being this badass, fighting all these people and yeah. not showing any mercy. <clears throat> she learned how to copy that, you know, yeah. how to survive and everything. So then she takes care of him while he is injured, healing. Yeah, it's like all through <clears throat> an entire winter, isn't it? Yep, yeah. all the winter uh, he's uh, like healing from his pretty grievous wound. Yeah, and he like fell on a piece of rebar. rebar. It went right, like missed his spine, went right through his like stomach and everything. Like, I don't know how he survived that without medical attention, but I guess he's just that much of a badass. <laughs> now, here's the really uh, interesting thing about it was that later on, you know, they start, they actually start bonding over music and he talks about days before the apocalypse, uh, zombie outbreak and everything. And he, she's just kind of baffled by the fact that like, People used to diet because in this new apocalypse, there's not a lot of food around. It's like people are just skinny because they can't eat, yeah. not because they need to diet. Yeah. Uh, so I, he's kind of like imprinting on her knowledge of the past. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to almost interrupt you there. I was just going to say, yeah, it seems like he kind of had a realization once he got better that like, hey, not everybody's out there for themselves. You know, this little girl could have just left me here to die. And right. she's a pretty cool kid, and she's pretty tough, like, able to... Yeah, she able she was able to keep us alive over winter, find us food. It almost know. felt like he kind of had, like, a second, like, chance like, with his daughter. Yeah. That, you know, it's like, five years went by for him, but I would guess that at the time that his, his original daughter died, and he meets Ellie, I'd say their ages were pretty much the same. Yeah, they would have been the same age by the time you met Ellie. Yeah, because yeah, she was probably about seven or eight when she died, right? Yeah, now, here's a big spoiler alert for people. Probably fast forward in case you haven't played the game, but this game's been out for many years now. Yeah. Um, they get to the Fireflies, the freedom group that's trying to, uh, you know, overthrow a corrupt government and solve the zombie virus. And they say, okay, we have her. Thank you so much for delivering her. Now we're going to uh, uh, do an operation and extract the thing that makes her immune to this virus. It will kill her. <clears throat> well, he doesn't know that at first. He's like, okay. Oh. And then they then uh, he asks, so what's going to happen? And they're like, oh, well, basically we're going to crack her head like a coconut, pull her brains out, and you know start synthesizing a cure. Uh, yeah, so essentially killing her. And he took that as a, oh, frick no. 
and he gunned a bunch of people down and everything. Including Saved. the doctors, right? Yep. Yeah. Because he wasn't going to let that this little girl... That was his Ellie. Like, that's yeah. his little girl now. Yeah, this is, like, you know, his little darling that he's not going to let nobody hurt her. So he kind of doomed all of the world to make sure that his little girl, his new little girl uh, is safe. I mean, I feel like there's another way they could synthesize, like, a a cure rather than killing her. So I don't know that he necessarily... Like, at the end of that game, we're left... With him dooming, like, the world, right? But, I mean, like, who knows? Maybe they won't actually doom the world because there uh, has to be another way. Like, there are people in real life who are immune to things and they're able to synthesize... Vaccines. Vaccines and stuff, stuff, I think, anyway, that that's happened in real life. And uh, I'm pretty sure they didn't kill the person, so... Yeah, I think that they were being a little dramatic. Yeah, I think that was more of to create a whole... uh, you know, like a storyline that shows like how caring he is, like oh, yeah. despite how things might have gone pretty bad. You know, he he wasn't gonna let his this little girl he die. Was gonna, he, he would find like another way if he needed to. Essentially, yeah, right? but he wasn't gonna let that way be the way. No. And funny enough that you mentioned that, there's actually a uh, uh, game theory that we should watch where it actually talks about uh, was that decision, like, it, uh, the was, title was, like, Joel's decision about that game. Oh. I'm assuming it has something to do with that, about how cures are actually done, but I haven't seen it yet. So it'd be a good watch yeah, for later. definitely interesting, for sure. So, next on this list... Is Vegeta. Sitting at number six. So, oh yeah, I guess I should have said the number. Whoops. <laughs> all good, all good. We're new to the list. Um, so... Vegeta is from the Dragon Ball universe. We'll just say that because there's so many of them. And um, I picked him as a good father because he is. It doesn't always seem like it because he's not really, he doesn't really show his emotions well. Except for anger. He can show anger really well. Anger and pride. Yeah, and stuff. But um, he... He absolutely loves his wife, Bulma. Yeah. And his two children. Yeah. Uh, Trunks now, and... Bulla. Bulla. Thank yeah. you. Um, Which a name he wasn't too eager about. He wanted to give his daughter a very proud Saiyan name, but once Bulma made that decision, he was kind of like, yep, the woman I love, my wife, she chose that name, I guess I'm going with it. Yeah, and stuff, but... um. There are definitely times in, throughout the series where you see how much he loves his wife and children. Mm. So, um, for example, there was a tournament with, um, well, it wasn't really a tournament, I guess, but it was. They were fighting Boo. Um, Majin Boo. Just to kind of like <clears throat> uh, paint a picture in case anybody hasn't seen it. Vegeta is the Saiyan prince. <clears throat> now, a lot of you might be thinking, what on earth is a Saiyan? Well, they're an alien race, obviously, and they actually have monkey tails, which I'm personally really jealous of. <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, he heard about the Dragon Balls on Earth, came to Earth, uh, make a wish for immortality. Uh, you know, he was going to pretty much wipe out everybody who opposed him. Uh, got his butt kicked, went back home, uh, realized that... Planet Namek had other Dragon Balls, so they were going to go there. His boss is already on the way, who he's trying to secretly overthrow, because his boss wiped out his planet. Long story short on that. Yeah, so that's kind of... He has a lot of hatred, a lot of people stabbing him in the back, and people just beating the snot out of him. He ends up settling on Earth, though. And, I mean, we'll go... We're going to do an episode on Dragon Ball for sure, so we'll definitely go into more detail about him. But, um, essentially, he settles onto Earth because there's another Saiyan there. Kakarot or Goku and it's like the only other Saiyan that's alive so he's like well I guess I'll just live here and of course Kakarot is a low level Saiyan and he's a Saiyan prince so he can't let uh, Goku or Kakarot beat him so of course uh, you know he's trying to figure out why Goku is stronger than him when he defeated Frieza his old boss Mm -hmm. so they get in they have this guy that attacks them this wizard yeah, Bobbity. Bobbity. And Bobbity has this alien It's a creation. magic... Yeah. So, Bibbity's... Uh, there's a guy named Bibbity created a thing called Boo, uh, or Majin Boo, and it was essentially to destroy all the gods and allow him to rule the universe. 
Uh, it kind of backfired a little bit, uh, but his son, Bobbity, so Bibbity, Bobbity, Boo, a little bit of a theme there. Yeah. Um, uh, releases Majin Boo from his egg shell thing. And Majin Boo, the best way I can describe him is think of a bubble gum that absorbs every flavor. Yes. And doesn't let go. So, yeah. Uh, Vegeta realizes that the only way that he's going to save the Earth and defeat Boo and save his son, which he tells. Uh, he's, his little son Trunks is only about 9 or 10 years old at this point and it's like no no dad we can fight together we can beat him and he knows that this is a, a suicide mission like no one's going to get out of, like we're not I'm not getting out of this alive and I'm not going to drag my son into this tells him how proud he is of him holds him close and then knocks him out yeah you know good fathering right <laughs> so blows himself up and unfortunately does not defeat Boo then, fast forward, uh, gets resurrected by the Dragon Balls because the good guys win, miraculously. A um, lot of details with that. Really good series. <clears throat> then, he... Uh, so, yeah, so Bulma is his wife. Uh, Trunks is his son. And later on, there's a god of destruction. Yeah. Lord Beerus. I think one of your personal favorite characters. Ah! Uh I do like Lord Beerus. I really like his advisor. Yeah, Whis. Whis a lot. He's he's fun. Um, but yeah, Lord Beerus is visiting their planet, and he Bulma like speaks out a turn or does something. Well, she doesn't know that he's a god of destruction. Only Vegeta does. So yeah. he just goes all out like goofy to try to appease this god so he doesn't wipe out Earth. Yeah, I actually think I belly laughed really hard a few times through that episode at just Vegeta being kind of like an idiot because he's not, he's very much not that because he's a very, Saiyan prince. Very right? proud Saiyan prince, yeah. yeah. And he knows that if he were to go up against Beerus, he's he not going to do very well. However, it was funny, and this is where it was really good uh, husband slash father material, was when Bulma gets upset at Beerus over like some puddings and stuff like that that Boo ate. Uh, long story on that one. Uh, so she gives, I think, Beerus a slap, and then Beerus slaps her back and sends her to the ground. Yeah. And Vegeta goes, that's my wife, <laughs> and goes just bananas on him. And Beerus gives him a good punch to the cheek, and through sheer anger about his wife uh, being disrespected and treated like that, he pushes his cheek back on the fist and hits Beerus. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the tournament. Yes. That we just finished watching. Yeah. Um, Known as the Tournament of Power. Yes. And that was the universes. Yep. Eight um, universes, uh, represent, uh, each represented with ten fighters, all fought for their own existence. Yeah. Survival was the trophy. And so he was obviously a part of that team because him and Kakarot or Goku are like the strongest fighters that Earth have. And um, they were a part of that team. And the beating he took in some of those fights, and especially in the last, like, kind of fight that he was in, and he would get so beaten down, and he's not as strong as Goku. But let me tell you, he thought about Bulma, he thought about... Trunks. Trunks, he thought about Bulla. Yep. And he was able to get back up on multiple occasions and find a strength that he didn't really know he had, maybe, um, and was able to fight way longer than he should have because it wasn't just about His him. pride. Yeah, it wasn't just about him or his pride or him winning the Dragon Balls so that he could wish, for wish whatever he wanted. It was about his family. It was about protecting them, and that's why I picked him as number um, six on our list as a really good father because... He fought to the point that would have, like most other cases, fighters would have... Given up. Yeah. They or, would, or they would have died. Like, he took a really bad beating. And multiple times. Multiple times. And they weren't allowed to use anything that could heal them. So, I he mean... Had he had to take it in stride. It was literally sheer will and love of his family is what kept him going. And that's why I picked him. And then our number five entry... Which uh, came, uh, was one of my recommendations, was Piccolo, from the same series. Now, I know uh, some of you might be thinking, okay, two Dragon Ball ones back-to-back. -back. Trust me, this, the, these guys here, they're very close on the same level of fatherhood. Um, it was hard to say who outdid who, but 
for me, the reason why I viewed Piccolo as a great father figure was because at first you know him as the Demon King Piccolo in the original series. Then he becomes, uh, then he, you know, he's planning to take over Earth still, but then he finds out about Saiyans and everything. So, yeah, and uh, he ends up, you know, defeating both the guy named Raditz and, uh, you know, subsequently killing Goku. Kind of a whoops. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he, I mean, he didn't really, like, hate... Uh, he still hated Goku, and he was kind of, like, took a little bit of joy in that. But, anywho, once he found out that uh, there was two more Saiyans coming that were far, far more powerful than him, and Piccolo and Goku barely beat this one guy with one of them dying, it was like, okay, well, if we're going to have any chance of surviving, we need to train hard. And he saw the strength in Gohan as just this little four-year-old or two... I think he was like two or three years old. And Yeah, he was like three or four. Yeah, and he saw was the Goku's strength son. in him. Yeah. yeah. And was like, all right, well, grabs the kid. I'm training him for the year till the Saiyans get here. Go tell everybody else. Now, the training was brutal. Yeah, he started off pretty brutal towards Gohan. Like, had him sleeping outside. Didn't care that he was upset, you know. Getting chased by Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Yeah, didn't care that he didn't have food. Like, he was like, then go find food. Like, that's what you gotta do. And yeah. this is like a little kid. Yeah, like, he's putting him through, like, some, like, like Marine Corps level or higher of training at this young age. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, it did pay off in the end, uh, later on in the series. Yeah. However... There was a lot. There was a. Uh, there was a kind of like a pivotal moment where it went like Gohan's kind, warm-heartedness really broke down Piccolo's cold exterior and used to being a loner. That he kind of realized that you know him and Gohan had bonded yeah. over time, and ended up like protecting Gohan by sacrificing himself uh, in the heat of battle. Yeah, and, and later on, even. Um, telling Goku about, like, you know, in uh, the Cell Tournament, about how Gohan is not someone who fights to uh, achieve higher powers and, you know, for the mayhem and the joy of the fighting. He was doing it because he trained with his dad because, hey, I get to spend time with him. Yeah. So it was like he was kind of more of a father to him than his own dad was in a weird yeah. way. But that's another topic altogether. But funny enough... Pan, uh, Gohan's daughter, uh, he asked Piccolo if he could, you know, babysit him or her and also be a bit of a godfather to her. Yeah. Which goes to show, it's like, the guy who was known as a demon king a few seasons, like a few series ago, all of a sudden becomes a bit of a, a nanny. Yeah, and stuff. He And, I mean, he ends up bonding with everyone, but he does especially bond with Gohan, and they do have that special bond, and... Yeah, I definitely think that although it started off really rough, he is more of a father to Gohan than Goku is. So, not that Goku's not welcome or anything. It's just Piccolo has earned has he earned that spot. Yeah, like we were talking about. Uh, Goku is a good person. He's just really all about training, and that's where the problem lies, right? So, uh, luckily, Gohan had Piccolo. Yeah. Now then, coming in at number four is Jack Pearson. Now, I had only recently got into the show called um, This Is Us. Yes. You were very enthusiastic about me watching it. I love this show. It's uh, it's definitely got a lot of good character development. Uh, I'm really enjoying a lot of the, you know, seeing... Uh, very first episode completely threw me off for a loop. I thought this was all one big scene and stuff. Um, in case those of you haven't seen it, just a little bit of a spoiler alert... Yeah, fast There's, forward if you want to watch the show and you haven't seen it, because we're definitely going to spoil a few things. Um, so, the first episode, you are introduced to a couple, Jack and Rebecca Pearson. And they're a younger couple. Um, and, well, Early young, 20s couple. Uh, yeah, early... To mid-20s. Yeah, somewhere in their 20s, maybe. He might have even been 30, but... Um, and she is pregnant. Let oh, me yeah. tell ya. Like we're talking a beach ball looking under that dress. Uh -huh. She has three babies inside of her. And we literally are introduced to them on Jack's 30th birthday. That's what it was. Mm. It was his 
Right. 36th birthday, sorry. Yeah, it's just Hollywood. They make the actors look so good and young <laughs> that 30 look like they were in their mid-20s. Yeah. Um, sorry, yes, it was his 36th birthday. And we are also introduced to three other characters who are also celebrating their 36th birthday. And that is Kate, Kevin, and Randall. And it plays through, like, Rebecca having the babies and kind of you learn a little bit about, like, Kate and Kevin, our brother and sister. You learn that pretty close to the beginning. And Kate has a bit of a weight issue. Um, and Kevin is an actor. And, yeah, you Ra- look... Uh, and Randall is also a... I don't know. He does weather forecasting but not like economics a yeah it's some weird weather trading thing where he goes to like farms and i don't know insures them on the weather i don't really know there's an episode where he tries to explain it and he really even can't explain it so it's interesting but um what you end up finding out by the end of that episode is that kate kevin kevin and, and randall. randall are jack and rebecca's children yes which i know uh for any of you who've seen it at first it's like wait what okay Kate and Kevin, I mean, shocker, like, it's, okay, they're white, and so is Jack and Rebecca. But Randall, I mean, he's dark chocolate black. Like, you know, it's like, how do two white parents do this? Heartbreaking story. They thought they were going to have triplets. One of them didn't make it. Yeah, so one of the, uh, Kyle was the name of the child that passed. That didn't. Yeah, he didn't make it during the birth. Um, And Jack, heartbroken sits down and talks to the doctor. And the doctor gave great advice. Yeah, Dr. K was his name, and he was really a good doctor. (laughs) And he said to him that he had to take the worst day of his life and try and make some some semblance of lemonade out of it. Yeah, life will give you some of the nastiest lemons uh, possible, and those are the worst days of your life. And you take them and you make some semblance of lemonade and take it in stride. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, when he kind of like had that realization, <clears throat> he looks at Kevin and Kate and they're in the little baby cribs in the hospital. And then he sees that there's this kid placed where like the third baby they would have had was going to be. And yeah, there's Randall. Yeah. And he asks the doctors like, what's up with that kid? No, Kevin. it was a firefighter. He asked oh. a firefighter that was looking in the window. He said, oh, which one's yours? And he said, oh, no, we brought a baby that was abandoned in and his name or that's him there and so essentially that day uh rebecca and jack uh with jack's urging uh adopted well they didn't adopt him right away because there's a process but they took him home and he didn't replace kyle but he definitely was immediately thought of as part of the family and so Throughout the series, it jumps back and forth between, like, their adulthood, like, Kate, Kevin, and Randall's adulthood, and then their childhood, different different points in their childhood. With and showing, uh, Jack and Rebecca. Yeah, and Jack was a really, he was a good dad. He wasn't flawless. I want to point that out right now. He tended to dote on Kate the most, because that was his little girl. Yeah. And... Like, she started having weight issues when she was quite young. And Rebecca, you know, would try and talk to him about it and say, like, you know... Girls are mean. Yeah, girls are mean. Little kids are mean. We need to, like, watch what we're feeding her. And... Because Jack had a tendency to take her to the ice cream parlor uh, whenever she was upset or just kind of whenever, right? Yeah, because I think she was able to, like, twist his rubber arm a little bit. Oh, yeah. As soon as, like... She wasn't really talking to him, and she was very depressed or anything. He just immediately folded like a house of cards. Yeah. So, but Jack also was like, ah, whatever. She'll be fine. She'll grow out of it. It's baby fat. But by that time, like... She was in her young teens. Yeah, and stuff. Um, And then, also, he was an alcoholic. Yeah. And so there were some issues with that. Also, not to mention, he was in the Vietnam War, so maybe some PTSD. Yeah, that might have led to the drinking. Um, but also, his father was a, an alcoholic as well. Um, but he did the best that he could for his family. Uh, he was there 
Randall had really bad anxiety, and Jack taught him how to calm that down. Um, you know, he he was there for his children a lot when they needed him. Um, Kevin kind of got left behind, so to speak, in a way. Um, Mostly because it didn't look like Kevin really needed much work. They thought, like, he was, like, the star child who was, like... Yeah. Well, we don't, like... He Randall's was, got anxiety issues. Kate's got the weight problems going on. But Kevin, he's fit, he's healthy, he's sociable. Yeah. Like, all these great things that they're just like, no, no, you go ahead, you do you, man. Like, you you don't need us. Yeah. Like, you're, 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 you're thriving. You're yeah. doing so well. But what they didn't see was the lack of he felt ignored yeah like he felt ignored right and and i know that the obviously if they knew he had felt that way they would have corrected it because they were good parents and they loved their children and they loved their children equally and um yeah so i I, at the end not even the end of the series but i we've seen up to the end of season three but at one point it shows how jack dies because you learn very early in the series that he died yeah, he when grabbed they were the, teenagers. The house caught on fire, and he grabbed a mattress, used it as a shield to make sure that the kids didn't get burned by the flames. And got Kate and Randall and Kevin. Rebecca out of the house. No, Kevin wasn't in the house. Kevin was right. at his girlfriend's and stuff, and made sure he got them out. And he went back in for the dog, and he grabbed a bunch of stuff, too. The photo album. The photo albums and a few other things. And... It seemed like he was going to be okay until he was in the hospital. He actually ended up having a heart attack from all uh, the smoke smoke inhalation, yeah, and stuff. And uh, it was very heartbreaking. It was so heartbreaking, and it was really sad because it changed the family for sure, and it just showed how much the family relied on him as a rock, I guess, right? Yeah, and like one of the big points I want to stress here about how great of a dad he was is that. Because especially back in the 70s and stuff like that, with a lot of racial tension, uh, not going to get topical on that stuff, but, you know, he, they wanted, they had to make sure that uh, Randall felt like he was his own man. He just wasn't a third wheel or fifth wheel in his family. Yeah. Kind of just coming along. Like, he took him to uh, a predominantly African uh, martial arts studio and, you know, was yeah. making sure that uh, Randall felt like, uh, he not only had his own family, but that he wasn't being excluded from the black community. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And like, so. so it was like as much as like probably you know it might have been awkward, especially during those times, to like be a white man in there. It was like he was willing to do that for his son, and you know it's like he all the things that he was willing to do for his kids, despite yeah. you know the bad things like you know maybe giving Kate a lot of ice cream and maybe not giving Kevin all the attention he needed and you know uh definitely making sure Randall never uh like had you know his anxiety under control it was like that was a lot of work and he was working in construction yeah i can tell you this much from working construction myself is that that is a physically demanding job and then to come home and you know have to make you know or not have to make sure but you know making sure your family's well looked after yeah it's that like you know like he's just uh a star man in so many ways and that's what made him such a great father absolutely so moving on to number three the bronze medal goes to master splinter now i know a lot of you people like as we said it's the whole uh he may have been your father but he ain't he wasn't your daddy and everything uh this case here goes to show um how blood is not the only thing that makes you family because rats and turtles, pretty much nothing in common. Yeah. And Master Splinter was, like, depending on which things you read, either he was a rat that got mutated into an intelligent semi-human rat, or he was a human who was mutated into uh, a semi-human rat person. Yeah. No matter how you view it, basically he was mutated to a point where he knew he could never live among people. But he came across four baby turtles. That had been mutated. Yeah. And he decided to give them names based on Renaissance artists. Mm-hmm. Leo, uh, Raphael, Leonardo, Raphael, Michelangelo, and Donatello. Yeah. Now, I, a lot of times, the, the, these, like, raising them up and everything, they were very energetic and spunky kids. So he taught them every form of martial art that he could possibly think of. 
to me, what makes this so great was that he wanted to make sure that no matter what these boys did, they were ready to like take care of themselves, and he wouldn't have to be a helicopter parent or a lawnmower parent. He made sure that they were tough, they were ment like mentally, physically ready to handle anything that came their way, including the Foot Clan. And that they would look after each other. Oh, absolutely. And even in some cases where... Uh, if you've ever watched the, what was it, the 90, the early 90s versions where uh, Master Splinter got taken and the Turtles had to flee New York, um, none of the Turtles really looked at it like, oh, well, you were his favorite and blah, blah, blah and everything. They were just heartbroken they lost their father. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, not that they couldn't take care of themselves and they all recuperated and they all kept training and they were all ready to go back and get their dad. But... He didn't really have to be there to, you know, teach him how to do it and everything. And yeah, it's like whenever, like whenever there were times where Leo and Raph would get butt heads about things, about who's in charge and stuff. It was never about who got loved more. And Master Splinter made sure he put his, you know, foot or hand down or whatever, made sure like slapped the table and was like, "Hey, you two, ten backflips now." And they were both like. Yes, Master Splinter, and because they, they knew that it was yeah. out of, like, you know, make sure that they keep their cool heads. Well, and they just respected him so much that there was no way they were ever going to, like, be disobedient to him. Like, they loved him. Yeah, and to me, the really incredible thing was that despite all their quirks and all the differences between all of them, they all felt equally loved by their father. Yeah. And, you know, felt that, like, the family unit, like, their family unit was so strong because of his guidance. Yeah, so, uh, next, silver medal goes to the Mandalorian, or as some people, like Michelle here, knows him as Daddy Mando. Daddy Mando. <laughs> now, I was very excited to watch The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. I immediately got a subscription yeah. to it. I am such a big Star Wars fan that I was just like, and especially hearing, uh, what was his name, the guy that uh, came up oh, with it? Oh, John Favreau? Favreau, uh, if that's how you say I his name. I think that's how you say his last name. I could be wrong. Uh, we've never heard someone say his name out loud. He played, played. Happy um, in, in the MCU. Yeah. Now, he is a big time, Like actually, I think he was also one of the co-directors, or he was the director of the first Iron Man movie. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he also He's, was the reason why I believe that... Robert Downey Jr. got his go. Got the job as Iron Man, so we absolutely love him. Yeah, he <laughs> he is a visionary and a genius, but so, when I we heard all these great things, I heard all these great things about the Mandalorian, I thought, oh yeah, we're gonna get the... Like, it's supposed... Like, I called it the Boba Fett series that, or show that you know, we never got from the movies and a lot of the comic books and even novels uh, did make uh, uh, better some good stories for Boba Fett. It just didn't really feel like in the movies and some of the TV series that a lot of the Mandalorians are represented very well. So I yeah. thought this live action one was going to be awesome because of the cast, the directors, the amount of like effort and passion that was going to go into this. This is going to be just a bombshell and going to want to watch it every time a new episode comes out. Which absolutely happened. Now, what I didn't know was that there was going to be a certain little, and let me just grab the doll here, because yes, we are such, I'm such a big fan, I got a little baby Yoda doll. Yeah, I think you got him for me, but... I did, but, you know... He loves us both equally, so it's fine. Yeah, and so the funny thing to me was, or like the thing was, like at the end of the first episode, was he comes across what they call the child. It doesn't have a name. They don't know about Yoda, so they just keep calling Baby Yoda the child. Every other Star Wars fan I know calls it Baby Yoda because it's a Baby Yoda. It looks like Yoda. It's the same species as Yoda. And it's so cute. And it's yeah. Adorable. So his job was to bring it back to these Imperial guys who were going to give him some very precious medals that for the Mandalorian armor and stuff. You know, to yeah. bring back their culture and reinforce their armies and stuff. And, you know. And, and all they wanted was this little child, so why well, not? And at first he thought it was a 50 year old target. Yeah. So he didn't think anything of it. And then he comes across a species of Yoda that, you know. Is a baby. Because they live so long. So, of course, you know, baby and everything. Yeah, because Yoda was like 900 and some years old during the Star Wars movies. Yeah. So. Obviously, the baby Yoda, being 50 years old, is still kind of infantile. Yeah. So, moving on with that, was that you, uh, he ends up bringing the, uh, the child 
Baby Yoda back to these Imperial guys. Yeah. And you can just see that, like, you know, when he brings it back and he gets paid and everything, he the first thing he asked them was, what, what's going to happen to the child? And they said, don't you worry about that. Yeah. And the heartbreak look that the Baby Yoda gave the, Mandalor- uh, the Mandalorian when he was being carried away on that hover, uh, what was it? Bassinet, like a hover bassinet. Yeah, a hover bassinet. You just saw it, and it was like the Baby Yoda was like, no, don't, don't, don't take, let them take me away. And, you know, it was like, he's a mercenary. That's his job. He yeah. delivered the, the personnel. So, you know, was, he's sitting there, and he's just kind of reflecting on himself and this, the child and thinking, oh, man. Uh, one of my, you know, it's like, I can't just, the the remnants of the Empire, because this is five years after um, Return of the Jedi, so the yep. Empire's fallen, it's it's shattered remnants uh, all across the universe, but nothing serious, but these guys are still the scum of the universe, like, they say yeah. criminals that deliver spice and all, like, the Han Solos are the scum of the universe or whatever, eh, the Empire was basically space Nazis. Yeah. And he couldn't leave the child there. And he knew he was going to be going into a pretty well-fortified place and that the other mercenaries, they were going to have their little payday thing saying, hey, the the target's here. We're going to pay you a lot of money if you get it back to us. Yeah. So, of course, every bounty hunter and their dog went after him. Yeah. He still was, like, willing to fight every one of them to save the child. Yeah. And the series progresses onwards. He's running through the galaxy with uh, Baby Yoda, keeping him safe, fighting all kinds of different uh, people. And, you know, there's even um, some really great heartbreaking scenes that just... It, it, it just showed how much, like, he, uh, when he was a kid, he was actually taken away uh, by the Mandalorians because his world got attacked during the Clone Wars. Yeah. And he was raised to be a Mandalorian, you know, warrior. Yeah. And so, of course, if it wasn't for them, he wouldn't have become who he was and he wouldn't have had, you know, he would have died. Yeah. So, it just, he kind of, he's kind of almost in a way doing the same thing. Yeah. And I'm not sure if any people are much of fans of it, but there's actually pictures of Baby Yoda wearing Mandalorian armor, and I think it's the most awesome thing ever. <laughs> so, but that's just me personally and everything. I mean, you know, could you imagine a three-foot-tall young Yoda, you know, using the Force and blasters and flamethrowers? Ah, oh, that'd be so awesome. But, of course, you know, that's all, you know, see how the series progresses onwards when it comes out, actually, this October. Yay! So excited to keep watching that. I'm counting down the days. Yes, and then we will watch it one minute at a time so that we don't have to wait. I'm going to keep flicking your ear every time you say that because <laughs> I will not be able... I will watch like an episode three times. Yeah, I know. I'm just... So, I know you wanted on that very last episode to watch it one minute a day kind of thing, but I, I wouldn't have been able to tolerate that. It was, uh, no, we're going to binge. I, I want all that Baby Yoda injected into my eyes. Watch Mandalorian being awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, Unfortunately, yeah. though, uh, we kind of uh, hit... Uh, no, we're good. No, no, uh, we... Oh, uh, sorry, my mistake. Uh, yeah, and we're off to the gold medal. The big honcho. Tony Stark. And... Now, I know a lot of you people might be thinking, wait a minute, Tony Stark, Iron Man, how is he the number one on your daddy list? Yeah. Obviously, in Iron Man 1, you know, he has a drinking problem, he sleeps with reporters and everything, uh, he gambles a lot. He's just a rich playboy. Yeah. That's all he is. How is that father material? Yeah, and even once, like, he gets attacked and he ends up with the... Uh, arc reactor. The arc reactor to keep him alive and stuff. Like, even then, he's kind of still, like, a Self-centered. Jerk. Yeah, like a jerk. Right. And stuff <laughs> like that. But definitely through the MCU and through the, uh, um... Just a lot of character development throughout yeah. uh, Tony Stark, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s acting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and <laughs> stuff, you come to find that he's actually not. Like, he falls in love with Pepper. Um, uh, a bit of a spoiler alert on uh, Endgame. He, you end up finding out that not only is he married to Pepper now, um, he's also... They have a daughter. Yeah. And before they even have the, do- the daughter, there's the Spider-Man uh, Homecoming movie. And 
now anyone who knows Peter Parker, he lost his parents. Uh, he's lost Uncle Ben. Uh, they don't reiterate that very much in the movies. In the new ones that have Tom Holland in them. Yeah, the great ones. Yeah, exactly. In our opinion, the be- the superior yeah. Spider-Man movies. So Peter's kind of like, he ne- he doesn't really have a male role model in his life. But uh, Tony kind of comes in, you know, gets him to come to Germany and fight and everything. Then... You know, he's kind of like an influence on Peter Parker from afar, but still, you know, it was like when things got really bad, he did come and talk to him face to face. Yeah, and he made him a suit and everything like that. Yeah, so he makes the suit. He does... Some guidance and, you know... and stuff. So he's already being like a father figure to someone. Yeah, mentor, teacher, inspiration, like... You know, a lot of things that at first it's like, oh, you know, he's a good influence in his life. Then later on in the Infinity War movie, uh, Peter has his spider senses going haywire when he's being dusted or snapped or whatever they call it, the blink. Yeah. Now, when that started to happen, it really tore at uh, Tony's heart because this kid who he kind of viewed himself as responsible for... Yeah. Just when, you know, he, he was just... It really wrecked him inside. Yeah. And, of course, fast forward into Endgame, you find out he has a daughter, he yes. loves her and everything. He's, uh, you know, teaching her out in this little cabin out in the woods, you know, because he's got, he's pretty much got life made for him and Pepper and uh, Morgan, I believe, was his, their daughter's name. Yeah, Morgan. And, yeah, you know, it's like Captain America and everyone comes back and they're like, Tony, we're we're thinking about doing a time heist, you know, go back in time and fix everything for what Thanos did. And Tony's just looking at it going, okay, I want to fix Earth and I want to save the universe and everything just as much as you guys. But you see that over there? I can't risk losing my daughter. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he's kind of like on that Joel thing, but on a much larger scale of, you know, he, he doesn't want to risk his daughter's life, period. Yeah. It's like he, he's willing to do all kinds of things. As long as she doesn't die. Exactly. And then when Peter, like, when they all got brought back into existence, Spider-Man comes back and he's like, Stark, you know, Mr. Stark, uh, you know, it was like I was there and gone uh, gone back and everything. It seemed like a second only passed and uh, blah, blah, blah. And he doesn't say anything. He just hugs Peter Parker. Yeah. You could just tell that it it really meant a lot that, you know... Peter was back. And didn't hate him or didn't resent him. Yeah. Yeah, it was all this stuff and it was just, like, such an incredible, like... You could see that their relationship was more than just a teacher or mentor or even like an advisor. Yeah. This was like becoming almost like a another like another case of like the whole uh, adopted father and everything. Yeah, and stuff. And then of course, the end of the film. Oh. Uh, heartbreaking. I ball every time we watch that movie, so we don't watch it very often. Um, he gets the gauntlet from Thanos and he puts it on and he snaps his fingers, and he does it. To save everyone, but to save his daughter and to save his wife and to save Peter and to wipe out all of Thanos's forces and Thanos himself, he ended up losing his own life. And he just made it the greatest sacrifice for not just the world but his family and the people he loved. And that's why we chose him as number one for our list, right? Yeah, because even. Uh... In the Spider-Man Far From Home movie, Happy ends up telling Peter that, uh, yeah, Star- uh, Tony Stark's gone, and you're never going to be Tony, you're never going to be Iron Man, because, you know, uh, Tony couldn't even be Iron Man, because, like, what people thought of him, he couldn't live up to that every day. Yeah. Like, he was not as great as everybody thought he was, but if Tony had thought for a second that, you know, that what they did with the time heist and everything, and you know, wouldn't have brought back Peter Parker and kept his family safe and everything. He wouldn't have done it. Yeah, no, but he was willing to do it because it kept everyone that he cared for, uh, family and not, um, you know, safe, safe from some somebody that wanted to wipe out half of the universe and half of existence. Yeah, exactly. And so that's our list of the ten best fictional dads that we could come up with anyway in our nerdy brains. Yeah, and, I mean, this is the top ten that we 
collaborated on and thought about for a little while here. If you have di uh, if you have a different opinion or you have uh, maybe want to add somebody you know that you think might have been a great fictional dad that we didn't mention, feel free to send us an email at littlenerdypodcast at gmail .com. Yeah. And just before we go. Let's bring it back to reality. <laughs> we wanted to give a shout out to two of our favorite dads. Uh, the first one is my brother, John. John is a great dad. He cares so much about his kids. He would do anything for them. And I'm really proud of the dad he is. Yeah, like the way that uh, his kids and... Uh, his girlfriend's kids uh, look up to him is something really admirable. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, definitely am proud of, like I said, the dad that he is. He's a, he's a good man and a good dad. So we wanted to give a shout out to him. And then we wanted to give a shout out to my dad. Mm -hmm. My dad is amazing. He's the best dad anyone could ask for. He's my hero. Yeah. And all the stories that you've told me about him, he has been through some rough stuff. And, you know, he, in my opinion, raised two incredible kids. <laughs> and, yeah, he's, uh, you know, I think a lesser man would have folded many times over in all those situations and definitely deserves to be respected just for that alone. And there's many other things that he should be res respected for, but I'll leave that for you know, him and his friends to acknowledge. Yeah, but uh, definitely, I just wanted to say thanks for being the best daddy. You are amazing, and I love you so much. So that's our shout-out to the dads. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's our first time doing a top ten list. Um, <clears throat> we'd, we'd definitely be willing to try more later on, mm -hmm. but... Uh, you know, like again, if you feel like this was a good thing, a good episode, let us know on either like a Facebook or at nerdy podcast, a little nerdy podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, if you guys like them, we'll do some more. But look forward to our regular content every Tuesday. Yeah, for sure. All right, and uh, yeah, just remember, guys, no matter what your thing is or what you're into, at the end of the day, we're all just a little nerdy. <laughs>